will, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel. And we're going to read in just a few minutes from chapter 6. And, and, and I want to say this. Even though I, I firmly believe that the Holy Spirit laid it upon my heart, says, you know, you need to talk to seeds about money, about what the Bible says about money. There's still a little apprehension in me to do that. And I, I, maybe because I'm not like a financial advisor. I'm you know, not Dave Ramsey. I'm maybe the furthest thing from it. I, I love Dave Ramsey's ministry and, and some of these other guys who help us uh, help the church and help the body of Christ manage our finances. But that's not my strong suit. And so I, I, I probably remember the first financial misstep I had when I was about 12 or 13. You know, if I think about financial missteps in my life and think about what's the earliest one that I can remember, I think about 12 or 13, I was cutting grass all summer long and mowing lawns, made several hundred dollars doing that. And that's that's uh, in the early 90s for, you know, uh, a young kid to make a few hundred dollars in the summer cutting grass. Hey, I was just rolling in the dough, you know, and um, at the end of the summer, my dad came to me. He's like, all right, J.D., I need you to bring me all your money that you made this summer, and we're going to go to the bank and open up you, open an account for you. And I was like, okay, Dad. So I went to my money stash, and I laid it out here in front of him, $65. <laughs> and my dad's like, where's the rest of it? And I'm, you know, I had this like look of confusion on his face. And I was like, well, Dad, you'll be glad to know that every single week when I got paid, you know, I tithed. And that certainly was not a financial misstep. No, he was very proud of me for that. It was great. You know, that's what he taught me to do. And that's what I did. But he was like, but did you just go over and above and give more than just the tithe? Where's the rest of the money? And I said, well, I bought a bunch of baseball cards this summer. <laughs> and so my dad, I mean, a bunch of baseball cards. <laughs> Hundreds of dollars worth of baseball cards that summer. My dad very lovingly but firmly encouraged me and coached me to not do that anymore. And so I still have those baseball cards 30 plus years later. They're in shoe boxes in a big tote in my garage. And my dad is not on my case anymore about that. But Jamie is on my case about it. And like, when, when are we going to sell these baseball cards on eBay? You know, because that was the dream in the day. No, we didn't have eBay back in the day. We just had like the Beckett, you know, price guide. You guys remember those? I'd go get that Beckett price guide every month. I'd run down to the gas station and want to get that. But anyway, some of you are like, wow, he's really into this. Um, so uh, anyway, here's the good news. The name of this message today is what JD has to say about money. It's, that's not the title of this message because you do not want to know what I have to say about money. But what we do want to know is, is what the Bible has to say about money, right? And, and maybe the, the, another reason I've kind of been slow to talk about money this year is because it's a little uncomfortable. You know, money is very personal to us. Money represents our time, our effort, our blood, sweat, and tears, right? Money represents our hope for the future. Um, money, currency is influence, right? Money is influence. And so it's very personal. And, and also, sometimes like 
in the church, not just even in our lifetime, although we have certainly seen this in our lifetime, but even historically, the church is not always, you know, done good things with money, you know, not not the true church, but there have been wolves in the flock that have. There's been abuses when it comes to money. And so it's like, oh, man. And there, so a lot of us have hangups when it t- comes to this issue. But, uh, you know, also when you bring it up, sometimes it just feels like, well, the church just needs more money. This is a fundraiser. So he's talking about money. That is not the goal of this talk. Uh the goal of this talk is just basically what the title is right there. We're going into this year, and now we're in the last quarter, and our theme has been to be shaped by the Word and be led by the Spirit. And so if we're going to be shaped by the Word, we're going to need to know what the Word says, right? And so really that's the goal of this this message, that's the goal of when we pick this up again next year, is to know what the Bible says about money. And so I'm, to the very best of my ability, I'm going to honestly and truthfully say, here's what God's word says about money. And then I put the ball in your court, and then you can decide whether or not you're going to be shaped by the word. So praise God for that. Uh, so this is not a fundraiser. We're just seeing what the Bible says about money because money touches Every part of our life. So do this with me. Let's stand together. We're going to honor God's word this morning by reading from Matthew's gospel, chapter 6. In Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7 is recorded the, um, it's where the Sermon on the Mount is recorded. The most famous sermon of all time preached by Jesus. And Jesus had quite a few things to say about money. And we're going to read some of what he had to say here in Matthew chapter 6. And today, because this is uh, quite a lengthy passage, what I'd like for you to do is just listen as I read to you. And you can just silently follow along as I read. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And I'll say, man, that is a passage that hits the nail on the head of our culture today. So many in in our culture think that they have light, but it is darkness, and how great is that darkness? Then Jesus goes on to say this in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, or we could say thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's read that last verse together. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a good father. We thank you for sending Jesus who came, he lived a sinless life, died a selfless death. He rose and conquered uh, death, hell, and the grave. And we, we thank you that we partake in the resurrection. We thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. We pray now that as we look at your word, God, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we would be able to offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable and reasonable. And God, we pray, um, Lord, that when we walk out of this place, that wherever that we've had any kind of paradigms that were not uh, from heaven, God, that you would shatter those and you would fill us full of your truth and power. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. And as you're seated, look at your neighbor and say, go big lunch. In Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 6, I think it's important for us to realize that when we're, we're talking about money, that we come to this topic and this issue um, on different places on a continuum or a spe- spectrum, right? When we're talking about money, there's a spectrum. And some of us are over here on this side, and we are in abundance when it comes to money. You know, um, our bills are paid. We've got money in the bank. We've got not just money in our savings account, but we've got you know, investments and we, we've, you know, our everything for the future is, is lining up and I'm just thinking about the thousands of dollars probably a lot of us have lost over the last good while from the stock market, but, uh, but we've got money there. You know, uh, we've even got some discretionary funds. You know, things are, are going pretty good for us. Uh, we're in a decent place and Jesus would say to us, Do not invest your life into temporary things. Don't invest everything that you have just into things that are going to fade away, into things where where they'll rot and rust and fail. Don't invest uh, your, your life into your kingdom, but invest into eternal pursuits first, right? 
That's what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, we have those who are in need. And so when you hear Jesus say things like, do not store up for yourselves treasures, you think, what treasures? <laughs> Have you seen my bank account? That's part of the problem. I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to even make rent next month. I got a phone call this week and from the mechanic, and it was bad news. And, and, and I've got financial need here. And you don't know what your future is exactly. And Jesus says to you, don't be anxious. Don't worry. Your heavenly father sees your need and he wants to supply your need. Amen. In both cases, whether you're in abundance or need or somewhere in between, you know, because maybe you're not over here, but maybe you're here. <laughs> And maybe you're not over here, but maybe you're here. Or maybe there's a lot of us that are just, boom, kind of right there in the middle. But wherever you are, wherever you're coming from, in both cases, Jesus is asking the same question for us, from us. And he's saying, are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to trust me in your need? And are you willing to trust me with your abundance? Yes. Come on. Why does he ask us this? Because money is a matter of the heart. It's very personal. It's a matter of the heart. There's almost no area of your life that money doesn't touch. Not your personal life not your social life, your business life. There's no area of our lives where money doesn't play a role or your attitude about money or your paradigms about money. It touches everything. Probably a good number of us at some point in our lives have been over here. Some maybe more than others, you know, some of us, like, I remember, we, I didn't know how poor we were growing up. We, we were so poor, we couldn't even afford the last two letters. We were Poe. <laughs> but I didn't know it. I didn't know that until later, right? How many of you, you, you kind of had that same experience as a child, and then as you grew up, you realized, oh, man, we didn't have hardly two nickels a row together. You know, I remember all my friends wearing Jordans and getting the newest Nintendo games, and I was wearing Spalding from Walmart, you know? And I got the hand-me-down Nintendo from my friend who when he upgraded, he felt sorry for me, so he gave me his old one, you know? That's, that's how we were. And, and uh, maybe, maybe, you know, you've got bills that you, you can't pay, and you feel like you're living under a mountain of debt. And you, 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 maybe for some of us, we felt we've been here multiple times in our lives. We've been here and then we climbed up out of that. You know, God blessed us. We worked our way out of it and the Lord blessed us. And then something happened or a series of things happened. 
And then we find ourselves here, right? As we thought, you know, our head was getting above water financially. Like, oh my gosh, something was trying to bring us down again. And you're back in the place of need. Again, Jamie and I, we felt like that. We know what that feels like. When you're going through this, this stuff touches your heart. It messes with your heart. Everything's connected to your heart. When you're under financial burden, there's some things that you feel. You feel stress, right? Man, it's stressful. It's not just stressful for you, but it's stressful between you and your spouse, right? I mean, money is one of the big issues that causes problems in marriages. When you're under financial need, you know, there's a lot of sometimes anxiety attached to that. You know, you're, you're worried, how are we going to pay that bill? You know, the kids need such and such. How are we going to pay for that thing that they need for school? Sometimes we lay awake at night and we worry. And we don't want, we know like, man, I don't want to get that phone call from that bill collector. And all of these things probably can be summed up in one, one word here. Fear. We're afraid. We're afraid of what will happen if the ends don't meet. We're afraid of what might come. What might come. We're afraid of our future. Several different times in our lives, we personally have felt that kind of fear. Even when we stepped out to plant this church five years ago, we knew we had a word from God to do it, but like God didn't give us the detailed plan and didn't like lay out for us the promise that all of our needs were going to be met. Yes, we had the promise from God's word, but we still felt the stress and the anxiety and the worry and the fear. Like, yes, we know God's called us to do this, but where's the money going to come from to do it? We didn't have like a supporting church that said, you know what, we're going to sow a seed of $100,000 into your ministry to make sure that this, uh, this church gets off the ground and gets started right. We didn't have a church that said, we're going to pay your salary for the first six months of the first year. You know what, I know church planners that do have that story, and that is awesome, and that's incredible. But we didn't have that, and we felt the stress and the anxiety and the worry and the fear, and it tried to come and attack our hearts. And then right in the middle of all that, we felt very impressed by the Holy Spirit. And we were supposed to put our children into private Christian education. What? God, this doesn't make any sense. Where is the money going to come from for that? We know what that feels like. And it all affects your heart. And there's another thing that can accompany financial need. I've been in this position before, too, as I told you about one of my financial missteps. That wasn't the only one I've ever made. But, you know, sometimes you can feel like, man, I'm on top of the world. I got this going. And, and then all of a sudden something happens. Or maybe you made a, a bad financial investment. I know some of your stories and some of you can identify with this. You, you saw an opportunity. And you took that opportunity and it didn't turn out the way that you thought it would. Or, or for some of us, it's just our lack of self-control and our spending habits. And we bought the new shiny toy, but now 
at the end of the month, it's time to come make that payment. And you're like, what did I do? I can't return this thing and get my money back for it. And you feel like, we'll kind of put this here in the, under all of this, some shame. Like, what's wrong with me? It's embarrassment. Whether it's a bad financial investment or whether it's your lack of self-control, your spending habits, and there's this shame attached to it. You feel like everybody else knows what they're doing with their money, but I'm, I'm the only guy out here that doesn't. Money affects your heart in profound ways. Not just when you're in need, it works both ways. Everyone's affected. Yes, it affects your heart when you're in need, but also over here when you're in the area of abundance. And no matter where you are, no matter where you are on this spectrum, whether you're here, 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 or here, money is vying for a place in your heart. Because money, or the promise of money that comes along with the promise, it carries along with it hope. Because, man, if I could just be in abundance, and those of us that, that have been in abundance, you feel, man, this, this feels good. Man, I, we, we've got more than enough. Man, I, this makes me feel secure. Security comes with this abundance, right? Man, if, we, if I just had more money, I know, I know that I could just be at peace. And I know if we, if we just had enough money, we know we could just do whatever it is that we want. And man, I know that I would just be satisfied. All of this is tied to this as well. It's really not about this. It's not really about money. It's really about this. Can you imagine what it would be like to be able to have that? All of this preys on our desires. What did Jesus say in verse 21? Where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. Why? Because money or your treasure impacts every area of your life and it impacts your heart in profound ways. On one side of the spectrum here, it speaks to your need, your desire to be cared for, your desire to have your just your basic needs met. And on the other side here of the spectrum, it, it, it carries along this promise of hope for the future. It carries along this, like, our desire and the, the kingdom that we want to build. We don't really talk in, in the terms of kingdom very much anymore. But we're all building our own kingdom. That's what your backyard is. That's what your house is. It's your kingdom. I mean, right? I, like, even, like, in Tennessee law, we have a law called castle law. And talks about someone comes into your castle, you can defend it. That's yeah. your kingdom. Even your vehicle is part of that. I'm giving you guys a conceal and carry class this morning, so anyway. <laughs> your business is your part of your castle. It's part of your kingdom. And we're all trying to build the world the way that we want it. And money 
affords us the opportunity, just a little bit, you know. Be our own kings. To do what we want. So what does Jesus do? Jesus frames our interactions with money like our interactions with God. Let's look at it again here. Let's put up verse 24 up here. And Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money is trying to compete for a place in your heart that only God wants to hold. You cannot serve God and money. Money is trying to compete for a place in your heart that only God wants to hold. Now I want to say this. Money in and of itself is not evil. Some people get it twisted and they're like, well, money is the root of all evil. No, that's not what the scriptures say. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he tells him and he says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But it's not money by itself. Money in and of itself is neutral. But it's the way that we interact with it is where it creates the challenges, right? And that's why Jesus is telling us you've got to be very, very careful. Whether you're in the place of need or whether you're in the place of abundance, it really comes down to this. Are you going to trust me? Something else that Paul wrote, he he wrote to the church uh, in Philippi. And I want to read this to you here, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret Facing plenty and hunger. And then he uses these two words that we have right up here. Abundance and need. And then this is the, this verse here is the one that helps us score all the touchdowns, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. <laughs> Has nothing to do with sports. At all. Has nothing to do with how much weight you're pumping at the gym. <laughs> it has to do with this. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul saying, in my life, I have found myself on both ends of the spectrum. He, he had, Paul had experienced some high highs, but he also experienced some low lows. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you, you started out years ago. Or maybe you're in this place now, I don't know, but maybe years ago you started out and you were starting in your business and you didn't have two nickels to rub together. You're just trying to get things up off the ground and in your life. And, but now you're in a place in abundance. You're in a different place altogether. You're a different financial reality than you used to be. And you can relate to what Paul is saying. Yeah, 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 I remember I remember when I was in need. I remember those restless nights where I couldn't sleep because I was just laying in bed praying to God, God, I just need you to come through. I need you to meet my need. 
You remember those days, but now you're living over here in the place of abundance. And Paul said that there is a challenge in both areas. In both. Now, we tend to think that this is where, like, all the challenge lies, right here in the realm of need. You know, because it's a more obvious way to see it. It's more obvious in the natural to see that's where the areas of challenge are. Because we look at abundance, we're like, hmm, this is sexy over here. <laughs> this is the promised land. This is what we're working for. This is where we're, head, where we're trying to get to. And to be honest with you, my flesh likes the challenges of abundance far more than it likes the challenges of need. But, but they are both challenging, and you think, well, yeah, but in different ways. Yes, in different ways, but also in the same ways, because it has to do with this. Because no matter where you are, here or here, you can still make an idol in your heart. And God's saying, are you going to trust me with your need? Are you going to trust me with your abundance? Unfortunately, throughout history, there have been Christian leaders who have assigned a greater degree of spirituality to one status or the other. Some people have looked at poverty and they've said, well, Jesus didn't have anything. Jesus was poor. So you're more spiritual. You're more holy. You're more godly. You're more like Christ when you have nothing. And you know what? I, 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 we know people like that, right? People that have, have committed vows of poverty. I know people like that. Like the, the obvious ones are, you know, the nuns and the monks. But I know lay people who have made those commitments. And I know other people in the ministry who have made those commitments. And I've seen, you see them live their life and God provides for their need. And it's very pious. It's pretty incredible. But that doesn't necessarily make you more righteous. Yeah. Living that way does not make you more righteous or holy. To, to say, I'm going to commit to live right here does not make you more holy or righteous than this person or this person or this person or that person. So let's not assign God's favor to any one of these statuses, okay? Because other people have come along and they're like, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. God's most pleased with you when you're wealthy. When you're living it up, when you got all the cash flow. You know, he, and they think that when you have money, somehow or another, it's a sign of God's favor and blessing on your life. And I'll say this. Yeah, sometimes. But also, sometimes not. How many of you know poor righteous people yes. and poor unrighteous people? Yes. Yes. How many of you know wealthy righteous people yes. and wealthy unrighteous people? Yes. Right. So we can't just go, it's not a good rule of thumb. It's not, we can't just look at someone's zeros in their bank account and go, well, they're more righteous or holy and they're not. That is not a good litmus test. When you're in the place of need, you're learning to trust God with these feelings of stress and anxiety and fear and worry and shame. You're saying, God, I trust you. I'm trusting that you're going to provide for me. 
And that can be a challenge. Like I said, I've felt that before. But, but Paul is saying, just as Jesus has said here in Matthew chapter 6, that there's a challenge in the place of abundance too. God, help me to trust you with my desires. The difficult thing about money is that it can afford you, you the ability, right here, it can afford you the ability to say, not my will be done, or no, no, it says, yes, my will be done. It affords you the ability to say, my will be done on earth as it is in my mind's eye. And if you're over here in the place of need, you can still really have that attitude in that heart, but you really just, you, you can't necessarily do anything about it. <laughs> but in your heart, you can still have that attitude. Yeah. But when you're living in the place of abundance and you have the means to actually, my will be done, that can be dangerous because it can be easy to get your, your priorities out of line, out of kingdom line. And Jesus and Paul are both saying, hey, you better watch it. You've got to learn the secret to abounding and to being in need. And it's this right here. In both cases, the secret is trusting in Christ. God, I'm going to trust you with my need. Or, God, I'm going to trust you in my abundance. I'm going to submit to you. Yeah. There's fear. There's fear on both sides of the coin. Over here, the fear is, God, if you don't meet my need, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be a failure. I'm going to lose my house. And over here on this side of the coin, the fear is, God, if I'm obedient to you, if I give you everything, I'm afraid I'm not going to be happy. I'm afraid I'm going to be miserable. I'm afraid I won't be fulfilled the way I want to be. It's a heart issue. And it's a trust issue. And there's challenges on both sides of the coin, on both ends of the spectrum, and everywhere in between. Are you going to trust God with your need? Are you going to trust Him with your desires? That's the big question when it comes to money. Are you willing to trust Him? And if you get this issue settled in your heart, it will lay the foundation for every other conversation you'll have to have about money. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. The rep, like all the other issues will be far easier when you come to them and far more settled because you've already settled this in your heart. I'm going to trust God. God, can I trust you? Can I trust you to provide for my needs? God, can I trust you to, to fulfill my desires? If I give you what you're asking for. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, that sounds great, but how? How do I learn to trust God? How do I learn to trust Him? I want to give you an illustration that hopefully will be a picture for how you can not just view this issue, but really view your relationship to God in general. A lot of people in this world, they view the world through the lens of scarcity. Right? There's only so much to go around. That's, it's like the Black Friday mentality. Black Friday is so ironic. Right? On the, the third Thursday of November, 
the entire country shuts down. To be thankful to God and to one another for all the things that we have. And hours later, we trample on each other to get the things that we don't have. You know? Right? That's the Black Friday mentality. They've only got one TV at that price. And if you get there before I get there, then I will have it. That's viewing the world through the lens of scarcity. And retailers are masters at speaking to consumers through the lens of scarcity. They know how to motivate us. They know how to get you to buy stuff you don't need. It's true. You don't need that. But they have somehow convinced you because we view this as like the, the world is limited. The world is scarce. There's only going to be one sale like this. There'll never be another one like it. This is your only chance. Is it just me? Or is it like Ford truck month every month? Like, Hurry, these deals won't last long. Until next month. And you run another giant sale. You know? It's truck month every month. I, let, me, let me give you a visual for how this works. I, I've got this... This pitcher of water, right? You know, let me just bring this. Oh. <laughs> and some of you might not be able to see this because of this Tennessee hat right here. <laughs> some of us view the world through like this pitcher of water. Is, can you guys see this? Like, it's not full. The water level comes up to like just right there. And uh, you can see that there's that much in it. And people look at the world this way and they say, well, there's only this much money. There's only this much opportunity. There's only so much to go around. There's only this many promotions. There's only this many scholarships. And, and if I don't get mine, then, then there won't be anything left over. And so... You see people getting blessed, having increase, getting promotions, raises. Just good things are happening in their life. And you're like, wait a second. Man, is there is they're getting theirs? Where's mine? There's there's not not much left there for me. Just just a little bit. And if they get theirs, then where's mine? A lot of people view the world this way. But that's not the way the disciples of Jesus view the world, is it? It's not how we should view the world. We don't see the world through the lens of scarcity. We're called to see the world through the lens of abundance. Why? Because we know the one who has created it all. Amen. We know the source of it all. This is how Jesus wants to invite you to view the world.
Instead of saying, there's only so much to go around, Jesus would rather you view the world as if you are connected to the source of it all. So when you, when you find yourself in need and you see someone else getting blessed, you don't say to yourself, well, woe is me. Why is it happening to them and not me? Why did I get that opportunity? Why is God blessing them? Why are they getting ahead? No, instead, you're trusting God because you know he's the source. And he said, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to just be faithful to do what he's called me to do. And at the time that he sees fit, he's going to bless me. Right? He's going to meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so there may, some people are like, oh man, there's nothing left for me. This person got theirs, and this one got theirs, and all this got poured out, and there's nothing left for me but just a few drips. I'm like, uh uh uh. My God. Yeah. Supply all of my needs and it never runs out. And so when you when you view the world that way, you don't have to live like this. Yeah. You can live like this. And you say, Man, this person over here, they need some generosity to be poured out in their life. I can do that. Because I know my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I know that he provides seed to the sower. Right there. See? I have been generous. I've poured out. But I still, God's meeting my needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. Let's see the world through this lens. Let's be patient. And not get caught up into the rat race. Not get caught up in building idols in our heart, whether we're in need or whether we're in abundance. It changes everything when you begin to see the world through this lens. So when the Holy Spirit is leading you to say, I want you to give that sum of money that came in from that sale or came in from whatever, you can just, okay, Lord, no problem. I'll do it. Because none of this is mine anyway. It all belongs to you. So I'm just going to open up my hands. And Lord, you just pass blessings through me into other people's lives. No problem, God. I'll do it. Whatever I have is not mine. I'm just a vessel. And God, I know that you'll supply me because you're a good father. And you said that you know my needs even before I ask. When you see God like that, it makes it possible for us to trust. If you don't see God that way, if your view of God is narrow, it's going to be incredibly difficult for you to trust him. That's why it's important for us to be shaped by the word. Amen. Amen. When we're shaped by the word, we get a revelation of who God is. and We can put our trust and our hope in him. And when you, you start, when you start trusting God, whether you still might be in the need area, but when you're trusting him, the stress and the anxiety and the worry and the shame and the fear, they don't rule your heart. Hallelujah. And when you're in abundance and you trust God, your security and your peace and your satisfaction is not caught up in the stock market or the housing market or how many zeros that you have in your bank account because your trust is in God and He's ruling your heart and not just these feelings, these, these false idols yes. that we built. Are you willing to trust?
Can we get our eyes off of limitation and put our eyes on our good father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Who's the source of it all? Who's our heavenly father who knows our needs and wants to supply our needs. And he's just waiting for us to say, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you in my need and I trust you with my abundance. I'll follow you wherever you lead. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness. We see your heart. We see your care for us. We see your concern, your love for us. We thank you that you called us and you said, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, my way of doing things, and all this other stuff, it will fall into place. God, help us trust you that you are a man of your word. God, we want to respond to your invitation to trust with obedience, wholehearted, not like just partial obedience, not just three quarters obedience, but 100% obedience, 100% trust, saying, God, we're all in on you all the time. So, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be fully and completely devoted to you, no matter where we are on the spectrum. Right now, Lord, we say, yes, we will trust you. Wherever you lead, whatever you ask of us, we trust you that you are good and we were reminded that it's, you, you always have our best in mind, God. And it's for your glory because you are worthy of all the honor and the praise. Lord, I pray right now that you'd minister to those of us. God, no matter where we are on the spectrum today, that you would minister to us, that we just need to relinquish all of our trust to you. God, for those of us that have had paradigms about money and about material things and this material life, God, that, that don't line up with your word, we invite you to come and demolish those paradigms, those ways of thinking, and build within us a sound theology built upon your word that shows us that you are a good father, that shows us that you are worthy of being trusted. And God, even when things happen that are out of our control, it doesn't change your character and your nature. You are worthy to be trusted. In Jesus' name, amen. This is, this is a freebie. This is extra right here. Bonus content. <laughs> I heard someone preach one time years ago. 22 years ago, I heard this one time and it stuck with me. It's kind of talking about your heart and how it relates to money and material. He says this. He said, takers take when they don't have enough. But they also take when they do have enough. 
But givers, they give when they have enough, but they also give when they don't have enough. And no matter where you are on this spectrum, you can have the heart of a giver. Because the heart of a giver is rooted right here. I trust you, Lord. It's not about how much I have, how much I have or how little I have. It's it's that it's yours, God, and I'm going to trust you. Now, like I said, I'm not Dave Ramsey. This is not all the nuts and bolts of like, wow, we're going to go out of here and we're going to manage our money with wisdom now. You need to go get some help with that. That's not what this sermon was. This sermon was about your heart. You can go out there and you can follow all the principles, all the, the wisdom and the principles, but you can still not have your heart right when it comes to this. Get this right. Amen? Amen.